You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Stonegate, how are we doing this morning? Okay, we're about half alive. We're almost there. Well, it's good to see you. And if you are new with us today, it is such a joy to have you. And there should be a card like this in uh, the seat back in front of you. And if you'll just make sure you grab that card, it's a green card that says connect on it. And at some point in the service, if you'll fill that out for us, uh, that would be wonderful. It would help us follow up with you and serve you going forward, which we would love to be able to do. And so you can fill that card out, put it in the offering basket at the end of the service. Or even better, you can take it to the Connect Center in the lobby on the other side of that wall right there, and they'll exchange that card filled out for a gift. So if you would just do that for us, we would just love to be able to connect with you and make sure we're being proactive in getting you plugged into our church family. So if you'll do that for us, that would be great. So what we do around here is really simple. We enjoy Jesus and we make disciples. That's how we summarize the work that Jesus has given to us, really to any church. It's just our language to describe that work that Jesus has given us. It's to enjoy Jesus and to make disciples. And we've worked hard over the years to clarify what sort of disciples are we trying to make? Like what are the distinctive attributes and qualities of the disciples that we're trying to to make here at Stonegate? And so we've developed language for that. We want to make disciples who enjoy Jesus. That's one of those marks of a disciple that we want to make sure we're proactively equipping and pressing toward. A disciple enjoys Jesus. A disciple needs the gospel. We never outgrow our need for Jesus, right? Um, We could be a Christian for many, many years, and we're still just as needy, still just as, as, you know, in need of the gospel as the first day we met Jesus. So a disciple needs the gospel. A disciple multiplies. A disciple embraces risk. And then there's this fifth sort of mark of a disciple that I want to think through with you this morning. Uh, We talk about it like this. A disciple lives in community. A disciple lives in community. And really what, what is kind of moving us in, we're in, by the way, we're in the third uh, part of a set of sermons through the book of James. And there's this one phrase in the book of James I just want to consider with you this morning as we think about a disciple lives in community. It's a reoccurring phrase. You see it pop up repeatedly throughout this letter, throughout these five chapters uh, that James writes. And if you've got your Bible out, and you're in James chapter 1, I want to read through a series of texts for you this morning. I want to just pull out uh, 10 or 11 samples throughout the book of James to give you a sense of this, this repeated phrase. And as I read, you see if you can identify what is continually repeated in these phrases. James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. Chapter 1, verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Chapter 1, verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Chapter 3, verse 1. 
Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Chapter 3, verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Chapter 4, verse 11. Do not speak evil against anyone, brothers. Chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. Chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. My brothers, if anyone among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wondering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Did you hear it? Repeatedly throughout this letter, brothers, my brothers, my beloved brothers. There's 108 verses in the book of James. And you find this phrase pop up 19 times. That is a lot of real estate given to one word or one phrase throughout a letter. 19 times in 108 verses. You find this this language repeatedly throughout this letter. Now, why is that? That's what I want to think through with you this morning. Why does James love to refer to his readers Love to refer to the church as as his brothers or as as brothers and sisters. Why is that? That's what I want to think through with you this morning. Now, there's a lot you could say about that, but let me just boil it down into a couple of of ideas here, a few observations. That, That word or that phrase, my brothers, is saying something about what we are. This would be the first thing we could say about it. It is saying something about what we are. I love in Ephesians chapter 3 how Paul talks about the good news of Jesus. He talks about the gospel as the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's amazing language, isn't it? He, he, he talks about the gospel as this, as this bottomless treasure. That the more, the more you discover in the treasure, the more you realize of how much more there is to discover. That's the amazing thing about the good news of Jesus. It's inexhaustible. And this, this particular phrase, my brothers or my beloved brothers, points us to one precious part of that treasure. And it is a precious part. So let's just set back and rehearse the good news of Jesus together. Uh, one way to, to talk about the message of the gospel, the good news of the gospel would be like this. Uh, that Jesus, he uh, came down to earth. He, you could think of it this way. He, he dropped down into enemy-occupied territory. And Jesus, God's beloved son, lived a perfect life. He lived the life that his enemies could never live. And after 30 sinless, perfect years of living, he died the death that his enemies should have died. He died in their place for their sin, the death that they deserved, he received. Then on the third day, Jesus walked out of the grave, showing God's power over Satan's sin and death, so that now... All who come to Jesus with the empty hands of faith, not trusting in what they do, but in what Jesus has done for them. All who come with the empty hands of faith, God the Father adopts them into his family. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? What we learn about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that that in Jesus, God turns enemies into sons. He turns enemies into sons. Into sons. If you're in Christ, you, you have been adopted by God. So, so now for everyone in Christ, we relate to God as our Father. We pray to God 
as our Father. We, we, we lean in and trust in a God who promises and pledges to be a perfect Father to us. Now, if you're an adopted son or daughter of God, and I'm an adopted son of God, what, what would that make us? That would make us brothers, right? Or, or brothers and sisters in this room. That, that's what we are because of the work of Jesus. This is one of those beautiful gospel realities. Now, when, when, you, think about, when you think about the work of Jesus and, and what it's accomplished for you, it, it's so important to know that that when God saves a person, he's not just saving them from some things. He's also saving them to some things. Not, not just from, but also to. Uh, so in other words, God didn't just pardon you from sin. God also placed you in a family called the church. He didn't just save you from things, but, but two things. This is why Paul, when he's referring to the church, calls it the household of God or the household of faith. This is why James, throughout this letter, is referring to the church as his brothers and his sisters. He's using that language to remind all of those in Christ what Jesus has accomplished for them, who they now are in Christ, what God is now for them because of the work of Jesus. He's reminding them, James is reminding them of this reality that the church, we really are family. Jesus died to make us family, to, to make us brothers and sisters. This is, this is now who we are in Jesus. So let's stop here and just ask the question. Is this the way you see the church? family, brothers and sisters. For far too many, uh, this is not the way they see the church. Far too many in our culture, there's a lot of confusion about, I think, just what, what the church is. Far too many in our culture, when they're thinking about the church and, and seeing the church, they see the church as a, as a service to come and consume. It's not. Church is not just a Sunday morning service for you to come and consume. It is so, that is a subscriptural view of church. It is not that. A church is a family for you to embed your life into and belong to. That's, that's what the church is. It's so much more than a, than a service to consume. So ask yourself the question, do, do I see the church like that? As a family, my, my brothers and sisters as a family, for me, to, for me to embed my life into and belong to, is that the way that I see the church? This language reminds us of what we are. But that little phrase, my brothers or my beloved brothers, doesn't just remind us of, of what we are. It also reminds us of what we need, of what we need. We all need this family called the church. Now, why is that? Well, one reason is because we are all communal creatures. You're a communal creature. I'm a communal creature. This is the way that God has made us. According to Genesis chapter 1, we are made in the likeness of a triune God. Now think about what it means for God to be triune. That means that this is the, the view of God that the Bible gives us. God, as he's revealing himself to us through the scriptures, reveals himself like this. One God. That God exists in three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And each of those distinct persons are fully God. That's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? This is how God reveals himself. 
as a triune God. One God, three distinct persons, each person is fully God. So part of what that means is that God has always existed in perfect community. It's a perfect community of love, love overflowing between God the Father and God the Son and God the Son and God the Spirit and God the Spirit and God the Father. It's, it's a perfect community of love. It's how God has always existed. And the scriptures show us that, that we have been created or made in the likeness of this communal God. In other words, you are and I am a communal creature. Now, innately, uh, human beings know this. This is why if we're going to really punish someone, we have created something called solitary confinement, right? That is showing us that deep down we, we've got a sense that we, we have been made as communal creatures. We are like God in this way. Human beings need community to flourish. You do. I do. We all do because we are communal creatures. Now, now, why is it that we need community to flourish? Why is that? Let me give you a couple of reasons. There's so many things we could talk about here, but here are a couple. Why do we need community? Well, we need it to see. If we're going to see clearly and accurately, in particular, if we're going to see ourselves clearly and accurately, we need this family called the church, our brothers and sisters in a church. We need it to see. We all have blind spots. Every one of us in the room has blind spots. And by definition, a blind spot is something you can't see. Isn't that humbling to know about yourself? You've got blind spots. And by definition, that means you can't see what you can't see. That's one of the reasons God has gifted us with this gospel-created family called the church, to help us see what we can't see, our blind spots. Listen to this paragraph from C.S. Lewis. This is one of my favorite paragraphs of his. Listen to what he says. He says, And you see, uh, looking back, how all the plans you have ever made always have shipwrecked on that fatal flaw, on that person's. So just, you just name the person. He says, your dreams and ambitions in life, they've always shipwrecked on that person, whoever that person is, their incurable jealousy or that person's laziness, or their touchiness, or their muddle-headedness, or their bossiness, or their ill-temper, or their changeableness. Then he goes on to say, This is the next great step in wisdom, to realize that you are also just that sort of person. You also have a fatal flaw in your character. All the hopes and plans of others have again and again shipwrecked on your character, just as your hopes and plans have shipwrecked on theirs. It is no good passing this over with some vague admission, such as, well, of course I know I have my faults. It is important to realize there really is some fatal flaw in you, something which gives others just that same feeling of despair which their flaws give you. And it is almost certainly something you don't know about, like what the advertisements call halitosis or bad breath, which everyone notices, he says, except the person who has it. Even the faults you do know, you don't fully know. One of the reasons God has given you brothers and sisters 
is to help you see those flaws. Or, to change the metaphor, for you to smell your own breath. That that's one of the reasons God has gifted you a family called the church. I need you as my brothers and sisters if I have any hope of seeing myself accurately. And listen, it's not just the bad things. It's, it's both the gold and the shadows, the goods and the bads. Uh, there is no way I would be standing in front of you this morning apart from people in my past helping me see some of the giftings God had given me and how they might relate to ministry. It's both the goods and the bads. It's like we need people to help us see clearly. I want to say this to you clearly. My brothers and sisters in this room, if you have any hope of ever seeing yourself clearly, you need the other brothers and sisters in this room. We need community to, to see. We also need community to be safe. Not just to see, but to be safe. Here's something that I believe about myself, and I hope that you believe it about yourself. When I look myself in the mirror, here are one of the things that, that I just believe about the person I see in the mirror. I'm always less than three seconds away from wrecking my life. I believe that about me. I'm always about three seconds away. There's never a moment in my life where I'm not, you know, more than three seconds away. I, I'm prone to that. I have a unique capacity to wreck everything. Now, now think about the Bible for a moment and think about the Bible's little H heroes. You might throw Peter up there. You might throw Abraham up there. You might throw Moses or David up there. Now just think about their lives for a moment. Um, think about Peter. Um, big, bold personality for Jesus, right? Yet, in a moment of weakness, denied Jesus. Uh, think about Abraham. Abraham's story is amazing. There's so many amazing things about Abraham. But twice, not once, but twice, in an effort to save his own skin, he was willing to give his wife away to another man. How about David? Uh, David committed adultery and then killed her husband in order to cover it. Or how about Moses? Moses just straight up killed a guy, Right? I mean, these are the little H heroes in the Bible. Now, what is the Bible trying to communicate to you and me as we think about that? It's not that the worst of us have the unique capacity to, to wreck our life. It's that the best of us have a unique capacity to wreck our lives. There is no one in here immune from that tendency to wreck everything that's good. But we all carry with us a unique capacity to do that. And one of God's just sort of vital provisions for you. One of, one of God's primary means of grace to you to keep you from wrecking your life are the brothers and sisters that make up your church family. We need the church in order to be safe. Uh, listen to Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. Uh, this is one of my favorite little texts in the scriptures. Listen to what the author of Hebrews tells us. Take care. In other words, watch. You need to be really careful about this because you're prone to this. Whatever he's about to say, he is communicating with the first two words, take care. You need to be very mindful of what I'm about to tell you. T take care, he says. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. He's saying, you better take care. You better really watch that. 
You better be mindful of this. You, you need to know that like that this tendency exists in you to have an evil, unbelieving heart uh, leading you to fall away into sin and to fall away from Jesus. That tendency is in you, so take care. How do we take care? Verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Uh, would you just look around this room? Just look kind of across the room. And I want you just to see the faces across the room. Just maybe look at eight or nine, ten faces there around you. Just look across the room and find some faces. When you look at those faces, it's important that you know this. You are God's appointed means as, as their brothers and sisters, the, the, the faces you just saw, you're their brothers and sisters, and you, you are God's appointed means as their brother or their sister to keep them from falling into sin and to keep them from falling away from Jesus. I just, just We need to own that. This is part of what it means to be a church family. You, you are God's appointed means to keep them safe. Uh, we, we learn so much even about this uh, when we just look at the animal kingdom, right? If you've ever watched National Geographic, what animals do the predators come for first? Th those that are alone, right? Th th that's the first one. And, and there is something just deeply embedded into the Christian life that, that is that. We need others to keep us safe, to keep us from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, when I think about the last couple of years, they have definitely been the hardest two for Laura and I, our, our marriage. Uh, they have just been a difficult couple of years for us. And I look back so often when I think about the last couple of years, uh, I am just so grateful that we have had people willing to exhort us every day. Willing to speak life into us, encourage us. I don't know where we would be today apart from that. And I don't know everything about your life right now, but I do know this. If you're not in a season right now, you will be soon. Where the appointed means to keep you safe in a season that's difficult are going to be the brothers and sisters who make up your church family. You need that. We all need that. Your season is coming. And God's appointed means for your safety are the brothers and sisters in this room. We need it to see. We need it to be safe. And we need it to grow. How would you respond if somebody asked you this question? Do you want to grow more like Jesus? Do you want to become more like Jesus in your life? If your answer is yes to that, then you need brothers and sisters. You need it. Christianity is a team sport. You, you cannot do well apart from a team. You, you need others. And I just want to say this as clearly as I can. You will never be all that God's created you to be in isolation. The only way you will ever become all that God has created you to be is by getting your life around people. Brothers and sisters who will speak into your life, encourage you. You need other people. I was talking to a Ryan Kearns the other day, and he said something in passing that just stuck with me. He said, you know, I think over time, we all become the average of our five closest friends. And I think that's true. 
I think you become the average of your five closest friends. I think I become that. I think we all become the average of our five closest friends. And we all need people in our life, deep in our life, brothers and sisters who are running after Jesus, love Jesus, seeking to be conformed more into the image of Jesus. We all need that. So just take a look at your life. Is your life embedded into a family? Embedded into brothers and sisters who are chasing after Jesus. We need that to see, to, to be safe, to grow. This language of my brothers is saying something about what we are, saying something about what we need. And then lastly, we'll just finish here with, well, how do we actually get it? How do we get it? How do we, how do we actually get more of this communal sort of thing that we all need? How do we get more of that? Gosh, and there's so much, again, that you could say to that. But let me just say this this morning. If you want more of that in your life, that more of the thing that you need and that you were created for as a communal creature, if you want more of that, I think we all have to just reckon with this. It requires pursuit. It requires pursuit. We are called by God to pursue practically what he has made us positionally. Jesus died to make us a family. Now, Jesus calls us to practically pursue what he has positionally made us, a family. So, so we have to pursue practically what he has made us positionally. Deep familial friendships will never be handed to you. They cannot be handed to you. They have to be fought for and forged and nurtured and developed. That's the only way that they come about. Now, in a lot of ways, this just leads us to the theme of this morning. Uh, this is for us a group's Sunday, a group Sunday. And if there is one way you can move past consuming a service, like that view of church consuming a service, and you can move into embedding your life into a family with brothers and sisters that you're living with, if there's one thing you can do to do that, to, to pursue that, it would be to pursue life in one of our groups. That's the number one way it happens at Stonegate. So if you're not in a group, this is like the day for you to be here. It is the best day for you to be here because this morning we are commissioning 19 new groups. Is that not amazing? 19 new groups. And I, I want to just say a quick shout out to our groups team. Uh, this is uh, Tony and Jeff and, and Sherry and just that, that whole team. A year ago, we had about 35 groups, which meant we, we just didn't have enough groups to, to even plug our people into. But we couldn't, we couldn't even do that. Uh, so in the fall, we planted 13, uh, roughly 13 groups. And now this morning, we are planting 19 groups. They have just been working and laboring to recruit and equip and train just have done a great job with that. So I'm just so proud of our group's team. But, but this is, the, the first thing I could say about what it means to pursue this would be to, to, to move into a group. If you're not in a group, the first thing, the most important thing you could do to pursue this community, brothers and sisters, treating the church as a family is to move toward embedding your life into a group. Now, let me just give you a, a quick sense of like what you can expect in a group. Uh, what can you expect? And, and there's really three things that you can expect in a group. And, uh, and, and these are the three things that we all need to grow and flourish as a Christian. Here are the three things. You can expect the gospel. You can expect multiple ongoing exposure to the good news of Jesus. That's one thing that, that 
all of our groups are, are working toward and that we equip toward multiple ongoing exposure to the good news of Jesus. A group is a place where the good news of Jesus is constantly rehearsed and remembered. Now, why is that? Well, it's because we're all so prone to forget it. That's why. So, so you can expect the good news of Jesus, multiple ongoing exposures to the gospel. That's the first thing you can expect. The second thing is safety. Gospel plus safety. Uh, safety is just a way for us to say that our groups are a place where you can be honest in facing yourself. And facing yourself is a hard thing, isn't it? But, but our groups are a safe place for you to, to face yourself. Uh, when you think of a family, or when I, at least when I think of a family, one of the first things I think of uh, is that a family is one of those unique places in your life where they know both the good and the bad of you. Like if, if you tell me that by birth you have a brother or a sister, I would know this about your brother or your sister. They know what's great about you and they know what's not so great about you, right? That, that's just part of the nature of, of being a family. And, and the same is true with a church. For a church to be a family, you have to let people know the good, which most of us are pretty comfortable with letting people know that, and the bad. And that's pretty terrifying for most of us, Right? But, but this is what it requires to allow the church to actually function like a family. I'll never forget a few years ago talking to a friend of mine. His sister was having a nervous breakdown. She was just not doing well at all. She was just in a really, really difficult season. She was living in Kansas City, going to a church at the time up there. And uh, one of the first things she told him is she's just kind of unpacking uh, just her story and where, where she was in that moment. Uh, one of the first things she says was, I just can't let my church know about this. I can't let them know. And I think many of us carry that, that sort of a view of a church with us. Our lives have problems, financial pressures, relational tension, troubles, trials, a heart that is numb to I would just we're, we're carrying all of these sort of things with us. And rather than allowing the church to be a family, we have this propensity and tendency to, to pretend, to, to cover our weaknesses and failings, to conceal those. And as one of my good friends likes to say, it really is okay not to be okay. That's an okay thing. A group is a safe place for that. In 1738, John Wesley in a lot of ways created uh, kind of the first small group or, or group for, for Christians, brothers and sisters to kind of operate within. And, and he uh, worked out just a few rules for, for the groups that he created. And, and here is rule number four of those groups. Every person in the group speak as freely, plainly, concisely as he can the real state of his heart with his several temptations and deliverances since the last time we met. That's what a group is for. It's a safe place for you to be honest about the state of your heart, the particular temptations that you're experiencing, the particular deliverances of Jesus that you're experiencing. It's a place for you to be honest like that. So, so gospel plus safety plus time. Plus time. These are the three things you can expect in a group. You know, growth in the Christian life doesn't happen in a microwave, it happens in a crock pot. That's how growth works. 
It's slower than we want, more frustrating than we want. It's just one small step after another small step. But we all, if we're going to flourish as a, as a follower of Jesus, we need gospel plus safety plus time. And that's what our groups are designed to give you, a place for you to flourish like that with those ingredients around your life. So let me close here. Um, I don't know if you ever look yourself in the mirror and ask this question. Am I for real? Like, I mean, like, is this thing legitimate? I mean, has Jesus really saved me and imparted to me new life? Or am I just a fake? Like, what, what am I, God? Is this thing for real? And if you ever ask that question, you embedding your life into a church family is one of the best tests for you to determine that. Uh, listen to Mark Dever address this. He, here's how he said it. Do you want to know that your new life is real? Well, if, if so, commit yourselves to a local group of saved sinners. Try to love them. And don't just do it for three weeks. Don't just do it for six months. But do it for years. And I think you'll find out, and others will too, whether or not you love God. The truth will show itself. Family, will you pray with me? I'll give you just a moment for the Spirit of God to press into you what would be helpful and to wipe away the things that wouldn't be. There's two ways I want to encourage you to respond this morning and really just to listen to the Lord this morning. Here's the first. is for you to ask yourself, am I in the family of God? It's the most important question of your life. Am I in the family of God? There's only one way in. It's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's, it's only through turning from your sin and throwing your life upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, holding up your life to God and saying, God, I am trusting in Jesus, in him alone. Save me, rescue me. Are you in the family of God? And if not, this is your morning to come into the family. God the Father stands ready and, and, and willing to welcome you in this morning. So there where you are, you can communicate that to God. God, here is my life. I am trusting in what Jesus has done, not in my doing. Here I am. Save me. Rescue me. And here's the other way to respond is just to ask yourself the question, am I treating God's family like mine? Do I view the church, God's family, as a service on Sunday morning to come and consume? Or do I see it as a family in which I'm called by Jesus to embed my life, to belong to? So Father, would you help us this morning? 
Would you help us be honest with you and honest with ourselves? Father, would you, would you put in each of us a deep desire, first and foremost, to make sure we're in your family, but secondly, to make sure that we're treating this wonderful gospel privilege of having brothers and sisters in Jesus to make sure we're treating our brothers and sisters like family, embedding our life into a group of people. So, Father, will you talk to us now? We as your people are open and we're listening, asking for you, our God, our, our dad, to speak to us. And it's in your good name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.